Misread is a book podcast where we review books, discuss topics, and provide social commentary on what's happening today. Welcome back to another episode of Misread. My name is Cassie. And I am Jolene. And in this episode, we're going to explore James Baldwin. Yes, that's a... Oh, heavyweight. <laughs> That's a heavyweight. Did heavy you know weight. did you know James Baldwin before? I didn't know James Baldwin before. I've heard of a lot of the the books like um Giovanni's Room and I know we talked about that, some of his major works, but I never really like read too much of his work or I kind of I think it's because I don't think he was highlighted as much in schools here in Canada. Okay. I think it's I think it's one of the reasons because I found out about him maybe two or three years ago. Okay. And I know I didn't read him in school at I did all. not read him in school at all. But in the States, they do read him. Okay. In some schools. So I think maybe that's why that's why we, we were not as uh, familiar with him. But okay. he's, he's a big figure of the civil rights movement. Yes. He wrote amazing, amazing books. Even the interviews that he gave, he's very eloquent. Um, his style of writing, what do you think about his style of writing? It's detailed and subtle Mm -hmm. and then has also this vulgarity about it as well. (laughs) It's poignant. I feel like it's like uh, incisive. Yeah. Like he, he goes in your, the darkest corner of your soul and he brings it out Out. in a very fluid, easy way to understand. And it's easy to understand because you're like, "Mm, I do that too. Yes. (laughs) I know about that feeling. I know about yeah. that. And in that way, I'm like, James Baldwin, you can be traumatizing sometimes. Yeah. But I do love Definitely brings work. you to a place, a different place. Mm-hmm. Definitely And a lot does. of writers are able to do. And one of his books is uh, is currently, he was adapted for a film. Yep. It's called If Beale Street Could Talk. And that's the book that we're going to review today and talk about. Um, the person, the director who's doing it is Barry Jenkins, yeah. which he which we know he did Moonlight. Won an Oscar for it. Won an Oscar for yeah. it, so I'm expecting it. It's already out. He presented at TIFF. Yeah, it's in TIFF 2000. Well, this TIFF year. that just passed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it, the reviews are good. I haven't seen it. Have you watched the trailer? I have not seen the trailer. You're going to cry. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> if, I don't know if you're like this. If I read a book, I'm not going to watch the movie. What? Yeah. I can't because especially if I like the book because you know when you read the book you 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 have you see it with your own imagination okay. you feel it the way that you feel and you relate to it the way that you relate some parts may be really special to you you know I don't know you connect with it the way you connect with it based on your own experience your own personality so when I watch the movie, it's like them telling me how it is. How and I'm to like, view, yeah. no, that's not how I saw it. Or maybe it could be, but I don't want to jinx it, so I don't watch the movie. Are you serious? Yeah. I can actually appreciate what you're saying. I never thought of it like that. But I think it's because I'm a movie buff. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm into film. Like, yeah. you know, one of the things I do on the side is produce. So that's that's probably why I'm if anything, if I read a book and they have a you know, film adaptation of it, I'm running to the theater because I want to see how did you bring this to life? Mm -hmm. Even if I end up being a critic of it, you know, stuff like that. Um, But yeah, Barry Jenkins, he's he's really coming up on huge and huge name. I watched the trailer for it. Mm -hmm. Tears. Um, Definitely not watching it. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what's interesting is that even in the trailer, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know how like you said James Baldwin he has this ability to like in a subtle way like he goes into like the little corners and he kind of brings you know you to right to the surface I found that even in the trailer in that short snippet of two minutes there's such little details in it that were just so engaging like I'm not a type to to like be in tears at a trailer but even the score in the movie for people that don't know score is like the the music so the trailer music is just like pulling on every string you have in your heart. <laughs> it was like, oh my god! But that's good. I'm happy yes. to hear that. So I he think was you able watch to watch the trailer. I'm not gonna At watch least watch it. the trailer. At least because what you're saying is that he was able to translate yes. the work, the the words of Baldwin into into the movie, and I I appreciate that. I haven't seen it, but you saying that to me. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. It does come out um, in theaters, I believe. Is it November? Oh, I think nice. it's so I pretty know soon. It's in the U.S. in November and the U.K. I think is in January. But yeah, a lot of Torontonians got to see that Tiff, and I haven't heard a bad review yet. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. maybe who knows? Maybe I'll go see it. I don't I'll know. Force her, guys. <laughs> I'll force her. I'll be like, hey, let's go hang out. And I know, right? I'll be you like, I got the tickets. <laughs> don't look at the name. And then we're gonna walk in, and she's gonna look at me. <laughs> no. So the book came out in 1974. And if to give like a brief description of what the book is, it's a love story set in the backdrop of criminal and racial injustice told through the eyes of Tish, a 19-year-old girl in love with Phony, a young sculptor who is the father of her child and who is falsely accused of a crime and imprisoned. Their family set out to clear his name. Yeah. It's a small book. It's like 200 pages. Yeah. So you can easily read through it. Yeah. It doesn't make the story more, like, easier to digest. No, it doesn't. Uh, although it's a short story, it packs a lot of things. It packs a lot of issues. Did you think that it was realistic? 100%. That story is a story that we have all heard a million times before. A million times before. Which, interestingly enough, you would think that it would make it harder to create another story about it that would be so renowned Mm -hmm. because you've heard it so many times it's not really unique right um but sometimes it's not really the story itself it's the delivery and that's i think where james baldwin shows that's where his art yeah that's where he sells but realistic 101 percent yeah um with the black male population and the incarceration rates it's still it's an issue we still 100%. face today. There's tons of men sitting in a cell right now. Yeah, that can relate to Fani for that crimes book. that they 100%. did not commit. One hundred percent. I think what really touched me the most about this story is the love, mm-hmm. the love between Fani and Tish. But honestly, more so the love that her family had for him, for him yes. and how it shows. I think at one point I was like, is this real? Your in-laws would go to that length to clear your name. They trust, believe, and love you so much. And that to me, the power of love is is the heart of the story. And what really touched me made me weep. I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> but it, it really it really struck a chord. And um, my one of my questions about that was... After reading this book, what have you learned about family and the power of family? Before I answer that, I do want to ask you, do you think that his family would have been in such a pursuit for his justice had she not been pregnant? No. His family is 
aside from his father, what her his mom, his mother, his two sisters. No, her family. Oh, the family of Tish? Yeah. Do you think they would have been in a pursuit for his justice if she wasn't pregnant with his child, though? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. I thought that. Because what it made me feel like was, and I don't know, I just loved it. This character that we don't know, which is the baby, is really the glue in the whole entire book. This Mm -hmm. character that has no name, no voice. That's true has such a presence that glues that love and that commonality that everyone has. And gives them hope. Gives them hope. And, and is the, the motivation for them right. to keep pushing, to right. keep trying to save and find money um, for his legal fees. That You're right. So, yeah. I, yeah, so I thought And it that. is, it is, the story is told from the perspective of Tish, who is pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, but you're right. Yeah, it is absolutely the glue because that's, you're right. I don't know if they would have fought for him as much if she hadn't been pregnant, but it's true that that baby is what solidified it for him, for them to think he's our own, he's our family now. Exactly. And overall, I agree with you, though, that her family versus his family would have always been more supportive in many ways. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the the one of the things that, I don't know if it's what stopped his mother and his sisters from being close to him, or I don't think it's what stopped them, but they definitely used it, religion. Religion is a big theme in the book. Um, as we all know, black folks go to church. <laughs> so it's just, it's, a, it's, it's part of our everyday life. Um, even Tish, Tish comes from a family that's not as religious. They don't put as much emphasis in their lives and the parents don't put so much pressure on their children, but they go from time to time. So they understand the culture of it. Right. Whereas Afoni is, is that how you pronounce his name? Fani. Fani. Yeah. Bonnie. <laughs> I love your accent. I love, like, you'll say something and I'm like, I like it that way better. <laughs> like, I, I love the way I you thinking, say I'm things. like, why would he call someone funny? <laughs> Does that make sense? Funny. Funny. That makes more sense. So, Fonny's family, they're more, they are Bible thumping type of people. Mm-hmm. They preaching God, but they don't know nothing about the God that they're 100%. preaching about. Um, I think that they used religion as an excuse to as an excuse i don't know what they were trying to cover up but when you spew so much hatred on someone there's you have a demon inside of you that you don't want to face so you're out there attacking other people and one of the passage that i find so freaking traumatizing or the way that they the way that they attacked her when they had the whole meeting when tish is gonna announce that she's pregnant yeah so this is what the mother says she goes i guess you call your lustful action love I always knew you would be the destruction of my son. You have a demon in you. My God caused me to know it many a year ago. The Holy, Go- the Holy Ghost will cause that child to shrivel in your womb, but my son will be forgiven. My prayers will save him. And as the same mother who doesn't visit her son, who doesn't work to try to pay the legal fees, who has insulted him from birth, what did you think of her? And I had to write that. I'm like, is she lunatic? Or does she actually believe what she's saying? Or is she in some sort of denial? When you know you've treated him the way that they have throughout their life. So basically, they picked up on him a lot. There's a lot of... Okay, I'm a little bit all over the place here. But so the mother is um, fairer than her husband, who's like more dark dark right. skin. And so they have three children, two, two girls, girls and, and Fanny. 
and um, the the way that they raise the girls is like they're really precious and they're really kept and uh, you know highly blessed and favored. And funny, they came out darker than the sisters, so they looked down on him. They they mistreated him, mm. and things of like that. It's never explained why. We never really we don't really know the background of the mother her motivation or how she thinks but we do know that it affects Fanny for a, a long time it even affects Tish and it and the father in that situation didn't really know how to handle how to handle that what was your what 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 was your thought on that my thoughts on the religious aspect um were that I I get it like it's not unheard of the holier than thou, you know, mentality sometimes. And I think what ends up happening is people are, human beings are naturally judgmental. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, I think that's normal. You know, uh, we are, we're talking about religion. So the Bible does say you can judge a tree by the fruit that it bears. So I think in some instances, you have to have a natural, you know, ability to, to judge a, a situation. But then there's a different level. There's, a, there's, a, I'm judging a situation. There's a different level of I'm a judgmental person, mm-hmm. and anything that does not fit into my idea of what I want, what I think life should be, and who I think should be around, and all that, all that stuff that embodies how we think about ourselves, if it is foreign at all, or something we don't like at all, mm-hmm. the only reaction to that is hate. And I feel like that was Fani's mother. If it didn't fit into her views of this perfect, pristine, you know, life that she wanted, and it was, it was the devil. She was was going to reject it. She was going to reject it. And that's, that's common. Mm -hmm. That's common. You know, even, even the use of her saying you have a demon inside of you and you, you actually hear that a lot when something's foreign to somebody like, oh, no, no, that's, that's not of God. That's, that's demonic. And Mm -hmm. that's not, you know. Um, so I found that it was realistic in the book. Okay. Um, even what she was saying was, it was so vile, but it was really realistic. And what I, I guess what kind of confused me a little bit about her was that her husband though, somehow you're this super righteous, holy woman, but the man that you married is not evenly yoked. Mm-hmm. He's actually <laughs> very uh, opposite and vulgar and drinks and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. So I found it interesting that even in her mess, she still had the ability to try and upstage and think she was better. That's why I think she's in denial. Were, yeah, like, but it was just, it was just really strange mm-hmm. that... I found that really strange, but very accurate of, I think, what happens a lot of times. And you see that actually a lot with a lot of women. I don't know if if you notice, but there's a lot more women in church than men. Yes. So a lot of women are, you know, these holy women and they're at church and then they go home to a husband who the whole Sunday morning they were gone at church praying. He's been on the couch watching football, drinking beer, texting his mistress. And they live with that lifestyle. Why is that? It's really interesting. So... That's true. I never thought about that, but you're right. Mm-hmm. The church is filled with women. I thought it was because women were praying for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're well, that too. <laughs> but I never thought about all these women who are already married and have a husband that it just they don't go to church with them and they're yeah. at home 
they scratching don't. their bellies. <laughs> You're right. You know, it's um, that's an interesting. That was um, her life. Yeah. Okay. Another theme that I found was prevalent throughout the the book was music. I don't know mm. if you picked up on it. So when I finished the book, I was like, "Well, what is Beale Street? Nobody. We never mentioned Beale Street. So if Beale Street could talk, is actually a song." And even in the description of the book, in the back of the book, they mentioned blues. And, and then I, I started to connect the dot. The book is two parts. The first part is called Troubled About My Soul. And the second part is called Zion. Yes. And Troubled About My Soul comes from a gospel song. And If Beale Street Could Talk is a song called, originally called Beale Street Blues. I'll give you the gist of the, the lyrics and you tell me what you think. Okay? In, re- in, in relates to the book, the story. So it goes, If Bill Street could talk, Bill Street could talk, married men would have to take their beds and walk. Except one or two who never drink booze and the blind man on the corner who sings the Bill Street blues. I'd rather be here than any place I know. I'd rather be here than any place I know. It's going to take the surgeon for me to go. Going to the river, maybe by and by. Going to the river, by and by. And there's a reason why. Because the river's wet and Beale Street's done, gone dry. That's really beautiful. So when I read the lyrics and I, I found out about the song after I finished the book, I thought, this is Fonny's story. Throughout the book, we hear... Everything from the perspective of Tish, Tish, who is pregnant and is close to her family. And we know a little bit about Phony through her memories of him, through her love for him, and when she goes to visit him. We don't hear Phony's stories through his own words. And I felt like this song was Phony's story. So, like, in the beginning, when he says married men would have to take their beds and walk, I I thought, okay, I think that refers to his parents' marriage, which is a little bit shaky. And then he says, except one or two who never drink booze and the blind man on the corner who sings the Beale Street blues. So the blues, I I don't know, do you listen to blues? I listen to jazz here and there, some Mm -hmm. blues here and there. But I wouldn't say that it's a huge part of my library. Me neither. But the blues, originally, it comes from hymns and African spiritual songs and traditions and music. And the gist of that genre is it's usually African-Americans voicing their personal woes in a world of harsh reality. Mm-hmm. So when he says the blind man on the corner who sings the street, the Beale Street blues, then he's singing about the harshness of our reality, but also the fact that he was blind. You know, the blind man on the corner reminded me of the elders in church in a way that they're full of wisdom, but no one ever listens to them. And the blind men can't see. So no one really, they don't pay as much yeah. attention to what he's saying or what he's seeing through his ears. And he knows everything, you know, because he's gained all the wisdom. He's been standing on the corner for a long time and he's he knows what's going on in the streets. Um, and then he goes, I'd, I'd rather be here. Than any place I know, I'd rather be here than any place I know. And I thought that was a reference to his love for Tish. And it goes, the next the next verse goes, it's going to take the surgeon for me to go. And it took a surgeon for him to go. 
Um, so I thought that was a reference to his arrest. Yeah. Going to the river, maybe by and by. Going to the river, by and by. How did his father die? He went up to a, yeah. a very far away place and died by suffocation. Because yeah, he, he killed himself. He killed himself. Uh, and then the, the last verse is, because the river's wet and Beale Street dawn gone dry. So that refers to his father passing away. Mm. Even, you know, Trouble About My Soul is a gospel song and religion is very prevalent. It it's is. Fanny's life with his mother. And Zion, you know, in a Christian, in Christian and even Jewish people. Right. And in those like religions. Like the promised land. It's very symbolic. And uh, there, there's a scene when, you know, they're with Daniel and Daniel is telling them about his prison experience and they're te Daniel's teasing Tish, and then they start to talk about, they start singing a uh, Billie Holiday song. So I felt like music was a common theme mm -hmm, throughout the book. And I love that. You, I think that was great what you, what you found and how you broke that down. I, I, I didn't see that myself, mm -hmm. but in you talking about it now, I can totally see that. And I think it's, I think it's a beautiful kind of way to capture Fani's story. Yeah. And that, you know, talk about da Daniel. Daniel is, is a close friend of, of uh, Fanny. Fanny. Yeah. And one day he's, he's hanging in front of his house. He has some weed in his pocket. And the police officer comes and he's like, he accuses him of stealing a car. And Daniel's like, I didn't steal no car. I've been sitting here. They search him and they found the weed. And they arrest him for that. But originally they were going to, I think they are going to arrest him for, for the car. And and they're like, well, it's either this or we're charging you for the weed that you have in your pocket. So he takes the plea bargain. Two years. Yeah. Do you know about the plea bargain system? And Yeah. So in school, I actually wrote an essay regarding um, the industrial complex with, you know, mass incarceration of black men. And... Unfortunately, that is a reality for so many people for a few different reasons. One of the reasons being um, the education behind what a plea deal is actually implicating. So, yes, two years compared to 15 sounds like a good idea. But when you're innocent, at the end of the day, it's a bad idea. Yes. Because you're innocent. Exactly. And fighting for that freedom. Exactly. Um, but there's not a lot of hope. In a lot of those situations, a lot of black men that are being incarcerated, that are being thrown these quote unquote plea deals, they're being represented by legal aid that does also doesn't care about them mm -hmm. or doesn't have the resources or the time to really educate them or care about them or fight for them. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, OK, let's just settle. Let's just settle. Let's just get some type of resolution, whatever it is, even though you're innocent. And the plea bargain is also it's targeted oh, yes. specifically prominently to people of color, mm -hmm. people who are poor, because they know that they won't have the resources to, to defend themselves. Yeah. And that's also a big a big contrast between Daniel. Daniel only had his mom. Yeah. So he was like, who am I going to call? I didn't have nobody. Versus Fani, who's like, who has literally a family who will work overnight still. Tish even considered selling her body. Yeah. And you even see Fani's father make a comment about his daughter's. Not, yes. you know, like, why aren't you guys out here selling your body opposed to giving it away for free? Yeah. 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 I just, I, yeah, it made me think about that, about the whole plea bargain and how 
it happens way more than people think and how, like you said, people think it's a better deal, but you're actually innocent. You're still being ac accused of a crime you did not commit. Yeah. And because their agenda is to discourage you to go to trial, to, to do a fair trial, exactly. then you will never, you, you, you'll never know what it's like. Yeah. You'll never be free because that even if you're even if you took a plea bargain, you still have a record. 100%. You won't be able to find a good job. Yeah. So you go back to the to the circle of yeah. you'll never really it will be harder for you to get out of the poverty cycle. Uh -huh. And the system knows all of that. Yeah. They know all of that, but a lot of these you know people in these situations it's like their hands are almost tied. Yeah. And it's like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. What mm -hmm. do you choose? I would say that I I did enjoy, um, overall, I did enjoy the fact that this is a love story. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that. Um, at the beginning, I thought it was a little bit like, oh gosh, young love, here we go, et cetera, et cetera. But then it kind of transforms in a way that was really warm. Mm -hmm. And I did love that about the book because it was kind of innocent and it's interesting because the book is about a family um, fighting for justice because, you know, Fani, one of the main characters, is innocent. Yeah. Yet you see this innocent love the whole way through. Mm -hmm. So there's so much mirror images of themes and characteristics between what's happening in the book and the characters themselves that you're constantly seeing happening. And that's one thing about James Baldwin that was like blowing my mind. Like, he was so able to capture everybody's personality, yes. what's happening in the book, yeah. what characters it kind of reflects. Um, even characters like Fani's sisters mm -hmm. that don't have a huge amount of playtime, I guess you can say. There's this subtlety in who they are that you start picking up on oh, yeah. towards the end of the book. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like... You, at first, you see them as, like, the minions behind the mom. But then you really see that there is this longing to kind of be on the other side. Mm -hmm. You know, with the father yeah. and wanting his his love and his approval. And and I know the book even had mentioned um, what they weren't aware of, or at least one of them, Adrian, wasn't aware of, was that the father views her like the mother. Like, he sees the mother in her. Yeah. So it stops his ability to give her this certain kind of a love that she just, like, is pouring out for from him. Yeah. So love. So if, if you if you would ask me, like, what stood up? Love in so many ways, whether it was the innocent teenage love between Tish and Fani or the love between Tish's family and Fani or the love between... The disconnect of love mm -hmm. between Fani's family within themselves. Yeah. Love is such a major theme. And the innocence of where it comes from yeah. is just so reflective of the whole idea on a bigger scale socially and with the injustice that was happening with Fani in particular, with mm -hmm. his with him actually being innocent. Yeah. Kind of back to refer to what you were saying um the love story of teenagers. Yeah. At first, I was like, okay, this it's nice. It's like you're rediscovering love through their eyes, yeah. even in the way that she describes them. There are so many... There's a part, there's a part that I was like, oh, 
girl, nice. Like, <laughs> this is beautiful. Just the way that she sees him and the way that she viewed him. And it made me, re- it reminded me of like first love and how sweet it is yeah. and how innocent it is. And you, you don't have like a filter. Yeah. It's just, it's just love. That and it's raw cute. love. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was beautiful. And also, yes, the love between the, 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 the love between her and her and Fanny, um, between their family members, like I said before, like feel like that's what really touched me because I mean I know what love is, but you know when they say love moves mountains, yeah, they took it to that level. Yes, it was, it was tangible, you know, and it was immense. Like for his mother-in-law to travel all the way to another to yeah. to Puerto Rico, yeah. To try to convince the woman to change her statement. She didn't have no money. She didn't speak no Spanish. She was afraid of planes. And yet, out of love for you, because I love you this much, I will do that for you. I just thought, this, I feel like, because we live in a society where work is so important, making money is so important, it seems sometimes that we forget the power of relationships um, between family members, between friends and such and such. And this this kind of reminded me of the power of love. It's not always, I mean, the most powerful of love is not like the cutesy type, the, oh, let's take pictures for the gram and relationship goals or... it's actually deeper than that. It's yeah. actually like terrifying. Yeah. How much of a even like an abyss love can put you in. Like you said, like the girls, the daughters, they wanted to be close to their dad. They had that longing. They loved their dad, but they were terrified. Even uh, Frank, so Fanny's dad, when he was talking to Joseph, Tish's dad, and about the situation, and he was saying, he was talking about the mistreatment of Fanny yeah. when he was a child, and he was saying, like, you know, I've seen it, and he talks about being ashamed of it. And I think that's why when I read to the end and I found out that Frankie takes his own life, I was I was devastated because I because prior to that we had we we saw how much he loved his son. But he didn't know what to do. He didn't know. I don't know if it's to say he didn't know how to love him. I wouldn't say that. But maybe it is. Because he said he, he didn't know how to stand up for him. He yeah. didn't know how to stand up for Fanny when he was a child. And now that Fanny's in this tricky situation, he still doesn't know how to, take, how to, how to care for him. Yeah, we and see I, his response in a lot of anger. Anger. A lot of anger. And at the end, taking his own life. You know, so it's just, it it made me think, like, and of course I know this, but, like, we preach love as this, and it's beautiful, but, like, more as a, more as a poetic, like, wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. But love is, uh, oftentimes they say that in the book, bottomless terror. It never ends. It Love it never ends. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you will go through anything to to make it work. Or to, to survive, to sacrifice, to love on someone, to make sure that they're good, you know? So that, um, yeah, that stood out to me too. Yeah. So when the book came out, um, this is more of his later works. Okay. So this was written after 
the fire next time. And we know that James Baldwin was a prominent civil rights movement. I've never read if the fire next time, but I believe it's a very it talks about race issues. Okay. In a very very strong voice, and so when if Beale Street could talk came out, some critics were like, "Did you lose your fire?" Wow. Because it's it, because they if they felt like it was so much more mild in comparison to the the work that he's done before right. and the, the way that he spoke out about certain issues, and other critics were like, "No, this is his most powerful book to date because he took the approach of love." Instead mm-hmm. of violence and all the, you know, he took that approach and he took two young lovers and their families and placed it in a situation of complete injustice so that you, you whoever you are, you will identify yeah. with the story and you, you will, it will touch you. So I, I wouldn't say it was controversial. I would just say that it was, it, it brought up a different of opinions. Right. Well, I, I think that the book would, um, if, Sometimes people don't see the fight in simplicity. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's a problem. And like you said, love can move mountains. And that in itself is powerful. And love can be violent. And I don't mean against you know the person you love. I literally mean love can be violent in your fight to, to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt that throughout the book. Mm-hmm. I felt that it, it had just the same amount of... Um, anxious, heart-wrenching, gut-disrupting, like, all those feelings were there. And I think a reason why the book maybe to some might come across a little bit different is because it's from the perspective of a teenage girl. So how she sees the world and what she's experiencing and, you know, learning how to love, Mm -hmm. how to fight, and how to be a mother all at one time. I also thought about black love. How, you know those who are like, yeah, black love, man, like, you know, more power to you. It's because black love at that time was so threatened. Mm. Every day. You're out here, you have your lover, y'all can't find a place to stay. It's such a struggle to find an apartment. Yeah. You get harassed at the grocery store and when you want to defend your woman, you may get arrested for defending what was right. Black love was threatened on an everyday basis. It's funny. I was reading um, a forum and it was actually talking about someone had commented and made a comment that black love equals black wealth. Absolutely. And I thought that was really interesting. And I never thought about it the way that, the way that you said it. Mm -hmm. Um, with especially in reference to back in those days, because yeah. I believe the book is set in the seventies. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're you're right. It it was constantly the black household, the family structure, constant state of disruption, mm-hmm. um, because of systems mm-hmm. and environments. Yeah. Black love is not just like romantic love, like between right. two lovers. It's also like within the family. So right. you, if you're always accusing black men of crimes they never committed and you imprisoned them, where's the father? Where's the male yeah. where's the male figure in your life? Where's that's my- a that's a good distinction. I like what you said. Because yeah. I think people hear black love and they think, oh, why does it have to be a black man and a black woman or like we're not it's bigger than that. We're not talking about 
on the surface yeah. level skin complexion Mm-mm. to the like you can love whoever you want to love it that's not where we're going mm-hmm. but like you like where you're going with this I, I love it because it's it's more injustice and social oppression that black families especially during the civil rights movements were facing your family unit is constantly being threatened and that's very different mm-hmm. from how I think when people hear black love, what they think that that insinuates. And that's not where we're going with this. No, not at all. It's like you're not free to love your men because your men might be gone tomorrow. Exactly. So here you have this girl who's like, I'm going to fight for him. Yeah. You know, so that's what I I thought about when I think about black love was continuously threatened. Do you think that it still faces as many threats today? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. In different ways. In, in so many different ways. I think I think right now actually at a time we see a lot of the the injustice like you said for instance back then you and your man can't even go somewhere without possibly getting arrested. Now you and your man can't even drive in a car from a movie theater with a tail light out yeah. and just be arrested for having a tail light out. You you actually might have to take out your phone and record because you don't know yeah. how an encounter is going to end yeah. with a police officer. Yeah. And that's 2018. Yeah. Things have not changed. And I think, too, even I would go as far as to say, in this context, black love is extended to allies. Yes. You know, um, the people around us that are in positions to help, that don't identify as being, you know, a part of the racial group of being black, but love black people Mm -hmm. and love justice and will fight for justice for any group of people that they feel like are being you know persecuted when they shouldn't be that's love Mm -hmm. that that's love i I know a lot of activists that don't share my complexion Mm -hmm. that are just there on the front lines because right is right and wrong is wrong right and for that reason that to me is love. Yeah. And I and I think sometimes we we need to recognize that um when it comes to systems and oppression and how do we change narratives? A lot of that a lot of that has to do with the allies that we have around ourselves and that Absolutely. we surround ourselves with cuz unfortunately we don't live in a world where it's just us. Mm-hmm. You know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So when we do have allies and we do have people around us that are here to, you know, push our cause. I 100% agree That's with you. That's black love to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. That's true. Yeah. And it's necessary. It's necessary. At the end of the day, black people in America, in North America, are a minority. Yeah, they are. If you want to look at numbers and 100%. We're not 50% of the population. 100%. So in order for my fight to reach the ears of the higher ups, I need allies. Yeah. I need you to stand up for me too. Yeah. I need you to say something. Yeah. And it's true of any cause. Um, even when I think about feminism, I remember I had a conversation with someone and I think they were saying, yeah, but but women hate men, you know? Those who identify feminists, they hate men. I'm like, they don't hate men. How can they hate men? They need men to make the <laughs> cause bigger, to make their cause heard. Who owns most of the companies? Men. If I'm trying to tell you to pay me equal pay, I need to talk to you. Yeah. We need to be on the same page. I need you to be my ally. Yeah. How can they hate men? And it's interesting because a lot of men actually identify with being feminist. 
now, 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 now more so than, yeah. than before. Yes, I totally, I totally agree with you on that. I I know even in subtle situations, you know, sometimes you're at you're at work and you're in an environment. It it actually happened to me. I was in an environment, and something was said that was so vile. And I stopped and I had to think about how I'm going to react. Because unfortunately, if anyone else reacts upset, they're upset. But if I react, I'm the angry black woman. Right. And I needed my job. And I was sitting there and it was a, it was a friend of mine, a colleague of mine. Um, she, she's not black, but she stood up before I could even say anything. She had interjected and kind of handled the situation and I was kind of still in a state of shock and afterwards when me and her spoke she said to me she's like that was my job in that moment mm-hmm. because you didn't have a voice yeah. it would never have been heard the way that it was intended to be heard had it come from you and she's like I'm so aware of that and mm-hmm. it blew my mind that she had the awareness to know that her stating that something was wrong and me stating that something was wrong oh Jolene you're hypersensitive oh that's right. you're, you're so angry you're so and it was almost like she clued in that this girl is is stuck because I want to, I need to fight for myself. I need it to be known that that is inappropriate. But at the same time, I have a family. I have all these other things that I have to think about in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to represent myself properly. And while you're thinking about all that, to have someone else step in mm-hmm. and take care of that situation, it was such a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. And it didn't make me feel like I was alone. It yeah. was like, sh- wow, she gets it. And she looked at me, she's like, I get it. And she's like, I will, I'll never know what it's like to be in your shoes. But at least this is what I can offer. This is what I can do in the position that I'm in. That's, That's amazing. real. That's amazing. And that can sound like, oh, well, you know, you should have been. It can sound like whatever, but that is mm-hmm. a real moment. Mm-hmm. That's that's such an important story. A lot of, sometimes people who don't, like I say, white people, they'll say, well, I don't really know what to do. I don't know how to change the narrative. It's those little things like that. Yeah. It's those little situations where you stand up. Even if you're with a group of friends and nobody's black and they say the N-word or they say or they say something insensitive or blatantly racist, call them out. Yeah. Call them out. It's as simple as that. And I think even in those settings, they'll be more comfortable to hearing you because you're one of their peers. They won't feel attacked because they feel like, okay, we're one of the same and I just made a joke and she's like putting me back in my place. Why? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Why are you seeing this? I feel like they might even be more open to listening yeah. when it comes from somebody like that. Um, those moments are what pushes the cause further. And it's funny because I think to, um, like you said, people will be like, well, how can I support you? Because there's a lot of causes that I support that I don't know firsthand. Mm-hmm. So I always... I always state um, one of the things I did when I was at UFT was I did Aboriginal studies. And that's something that's very dear to me. Um, and I know we even talked about having an episode about, you know, mm-hmm. um, Aboriginal uh, narrative and storytelling. And I've, I don't, I would always say, like, how can I support? Yeah. Like, like because I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know what that means. So to get to that level and speak to someone who's experiencing it. What is, what is a wrong term? Like is, is Aboriginal maybe a term that you don't like, like it's okay to ask the questions that doesn't make you ignorant. Yeah. So just like how you said, when people are like, well, sometimes they're not exactly sure how to support. 
my first thing that I will say to anybody, this this includes people of every race, including black people that are involved in fighting for a cause, um, a racial cause for another group that they don't identify with. The one thing that we all need to stop saying is I don't see color. That is not your solution. It's not helpful. It's not helpful. That is not your solution. I'm telling you. Because if you don't see color, then what you're also telling me is that you do not see my plight. If you, My plight is literally connected to my race. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people that are happening, a lot of these things that are happening in the U.S. with these families, um, these Mexican families being torn apart. Yeah. I'm not Mexican. Yeah. It would be ignorant for me to say, well, like that's not tied to a, a racial, ethnic, ethnicity. That is tied to the fact yeah. that they're Mexican. Mm-hmm. And that is the truth. Straight and it's up. not right. Yeah. So to say, oh, I don't see color. It's just, no. They're just illegal. No. They just have to do it the It has nothing way. to do with that. Because there's a lot of Europeans in America that are illegal. And there isn't this attack on them. No. We have to be, we have to be honest. Mm-hmm. We have to be honest about what's happening with every racial group, with yeah. every um, minority, whether that has, whether that's tied with race, gender, any form of equality. Right. And saying that you don't see it or you turn a blind eye or everybody is the same, that I get where the intent is coming from, but it actually works in your detriment and it doesn't help any cause at all. That's true. You need to see color. You need to see gender. You need to see inequality. You need to be able to see it in order to identify it and be an ally yeah. and be able to help. That's true. And that's that's something I'm extremely passionate about and yeah. aware of. I do believe that it doesn't help the conversation. At all. When you say something like that. <laughs> it doesn't help. It's it doesn't very help. passive. Very, very passive. It's almost like you're removing all responsibility. 100%. I know you're. I know they say that out of uh, right. The intent is supposed to be from somewhere of equality. Yes, but it it doesn't. Like you said, it doesn't help. It doesn't help the conversation move forward. No, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's no. I see my color. Mm -hmm. I see your color. Mm -hmm. I see your injustice. You see my injustice. Now I know where I can how what I can do, and now you know what 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 you can do for me. That's what that's the conversations that we need to be able to have. Yeah, we need to fight this in order to get to the point where we're like, I don't see color. Because ultimately, the goal is to be able to relate to one another just as human beings and not through the color of our skin. Yeah, and I don't I don't think you ever have to not see color. I think color is beautiful. I think everything yeah. that makes everything that makes up who you are is beautiful. I think but you can I, I always think, see color. I don't look at it like that. Like what I what I mean by is relating to one another as human beings. That's what I mean by that. Like if I relate to you, I relate to you. Who cares that you're white? Who cares that I'm black? Right. Who cares that you're from Asia or that? How is that important, actually? I relate to you. I relate to your experience. We share a lot of similarities. Right. We go through a lot of the same things. I have a good time with you. Right. It, sh- it should be your afterthought. Like, and I think I think we're we're agreeing, but I but we're saying it differently because because of that reason, I should be able to relate to you. However, who cares? Like, it's okay for me to see your color. Mm-hmm. Like, of course I can. See, of course, yeah, I can identify. Yeah, you're Asian, and I think it's great that we both find this one. You know, we both like this thing or. Like, yeah, we're human beings and these are the things that make us up of human beings. And let's recognize them all and still love each other yeah. in spite and regardless of. So I, I totally agree with you. It should, 
we should relate to people because we think they're good people mm-hmm. in general or we think they're bad people mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. and it's not tied to maybe their class their creed etc but yeah. we can acknowledge all those things yes. and love all those things yes absolutely. um at the same time so yeah, yeah no, i get that yeah. yeah but like i said we have to address what's going the on issues. now in order yeah. to get there mm-hmm. you know so um, you think we'll get there i have faith i have faith <sighs> I have faith. It's a conversation for another podcast, guys. <laughs> I have faith. You don't think so? I don't know how I feel. I think I'd have to think about that. We'll get there because when you look at where we were 100 years ago and where we are today, where we were 50 years ago and where we are today, there's a lot of things that have changed. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that did not change. But the facts are we were, we've been able to shake things around we've been able to sit at certain tables and make our points heard and some things have changed and in another way like social injustice uh the legal legal system being the way that it is some things have not changed but we are sitting at more tables than we did 100 years ago we are more prominent our voices are being heard more you know the Olympics from I can't I can't remember the year, but when the black guy threw yeah, his fist the, in the yeah. air, he never recovered from that. Eh, he wasn't able to find a job after that. No one no one wanted to hire him. He was really shamed. Mm-hmm. Although we 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 celebrate that moment a lot, and it's a it's a symbol for him for that person at that time. It was hell. He went through hell. Whereas now, yeah, if we can compare it to Colin, he went through a lot of. It was brutal, the response, but now look at Nike. It didn't happen with that guy. I can't remember his name, I'm sorry, but like it, can't, it didn't happen with him. But now it's happening with, with Colin. It's like, we hear you. You know, we hear you. We want to stand behind you. Hey, let's not fool ourselves. Business is business, okay? So Nike yes. is making a nice little money. But still, I was talking about it with a friend. I was saying... Before they decided to collaborate with them on that campaign, they knew they were going to lose a lot of money. Initially, when the word came out, their stocks went down, like a lot. And then when the the ad came out this week or last week, their stocks went all the way up. Um, But I I think it was a bargain. Because half the country... I think it was a safe bargain. you, You think so? Yeah, I think if you look at probably the demographic that buys... That has a lot of, like, I think people underestimate the the ethnic, and because I, I don't want to make it just black, but the ethnic uh, selling dollar. And um, Mr. all these people that you see on the internet catching their shoes on fire. I don't support Nike. The hillbilly in his trailer park in the South, they buy a pair of Nikes once every year to two years, maybe if that. The little black boy in Harlem has a wall full of Jordans that all range from three to five hundred dollars. Right. And same with a lot of black, mm-hmm. brown, Asian. A mm-hmm. lot of Asian friends that I know, my my Asian guy friends have got. Every time I see them, they're wearing a, a new pair of shoes. Yeah, they're sneakerheads. You know, they're sneakerheads. Mm-hmm. A that demographic that I feel like is putting a lot of money into Nike. If it's if it's not the same, if any if anything, it's skyrocketing more. So I think it was a very calculated, easy risk because the people that they're losing are not people that buy Nike, Nike on, a on a regular basis or often, or even buy the ex- the expensive. Look at Jordan. Jordan has made Nike billions and billions of dollars. Right. Who wears Jordans? I've never seen any of those hillbillies put on a, a five hundred dollar <laughs> pair of Jordans. They're not worried about that. So, okay, but I support point. it. That's but I support point. it. Mm-hmm. I support it. I think Nike did a tremendous thing, and I support it. 
for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I'm wearing Nikes right now. <laughs> so I I I definitely support it. Right. Um but in I, terms yeah. of in terms of talking about have things changed. That's what my point was. Yeah. It has in many ways it has and in many other ways it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Or it's still a work in progress, but it's not but that's why I have hope. That's why you have hope. Yeah. Because I've seen the changes, you know. I don't necessarily fear for my life when I leave my house. Also because I live here. <laughs> that plays a big part. I'm like, girl, not you gonna live lie, in Not going to lie. That may play a big factor in that, in my, my security. Um, but, but regardless, it's not to say that there wasn't a lot of violence in Canada prior. It's just people don't really talk about it that much. But there was. And and yeah, so that's that's uh, that's why that's what I'm saying. I have hope because okay, yeah, I can, I can appreciate your your stance. I think um, I think human beings are interesting people, and I think that history has a way of always repeating itself, repeating and reminding, and kind of just being there because. Anything we have today was built on something that was there before. Uh-huh. And foundations aren't easily shaken, shaken and um, recreated. So, yeah. I don't know. I, again, like, I don't, I don't want to say I do or I don't have hope. I, I, I don't have an educated opinion enough on how I feel about that. I haven't been able to think about it. Uh-huh. So, I don't want to say too much. Yeah. But that's how I feel... Um, in regards to what you said, I understand. Yeah. I understand what you're saying, though. And I, I understand your feeling, too. Yeah. I understand. I, you know, sometimes hope is all you have. <laughs> That's true, too. That's true, too. It's either true that too. or you just sink into a really dark hole yeah. and I just don't want to be there. So yeah. I'm going to go for hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's true. <laughs> well, yeah. That was great. That was great. That was a really good conversation. Yeah. You guys write us. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, yeah. Have you read If Beale Street Could Talk? What did, yeah. what did you think Did of you it? watch it at TIFF? Will you watch it when it comes out with me and Cassie? <laughs> See how I just knocked that in there? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great. Um, one last thing. Somebody did hit me up with a question. Let me find it. Okay. <laughs> me and my papers. I have too much papers. Um, somebody asked me on Instagram if I had any suggestions for funny books. And the and I do and I'm it, they're not sold as funny books they're just okay. a really great story that is also funny. very funny. So the first one that I always tell everybody is the Nicks by Nathan Hill. This will make you tear up. That's how much I've laughed when I I love that book. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Zadie Smith White Teeth. It's a pretty thick novel, but Zadie Smith is amazing and the humor in it is flawless. The Sellout by Paul Beatty. That book is a little bit more um, ironic. You know, it's kind of in the train of thought that you you have where you don't have a lot of hope. If you read that, you will. <laughs> yep. It's kind of cynical in that way. Okay. It's cynical. But it is so funny. There are parts in that book where I'm like, like I had to call people. I'm like, let me tell you about this joke. But it's not a joke. It's literally what was in the book. So it's really good. And lastly, it's uh, it's uh, the book What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky. It's a collection of books. It's written by Leslie Nika Arima. Um, it's a collection of books, and so not all stories are funny, but right. there are at least two or three in there that I 
I had a I had a good laugh out of. So those are my suggestions. Those are great. Yeah. Let us know if you picked them up and if you read them and what do you think. We're also gonna do we'll do an episode on some comedic writing and yes, that's I think that'll soon. yeah I think that'll be fun. So you guys stay tuned.